if you would, to Second <clears throat> Kings chapter 4. This week, <clears throat> I was asked a question that I've heard many times. In fact, uh, this is a question that I've even asked myself. And the question is, what is wrong with people today? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the world we live in seems to be spinning out of control. And, and, and this is not part of the sermon. This is just my own observation. I praise God that I serve a God that has got things under control. Amen. You know, when, when life seems to be spinning out of control, the, the, the key word in that phrase is the word seems. He's got it under control. But I, <clears throat> you know, the recently, I don't know all the details, but I know that on Black Friday, uh, there was a domestic dispute in the, in the shopping center somewhere. I forget the city that it was in. And some guy just pulled out a gun and started shooting people. Uh, you know, uh, the, the phrase, go, going postal. I mean, we all know that. And, and you know, we all know that um, somebody gets mad, and what do they do? They pull out a gun and just start killing people. I mean, there's something wrong, something bad wrong. In 2016, in the city of Chicago, there were 720 deaths, murders, not deaths, murders, in the city of Chicago. In 2016, in the country of Afghanistan, there were 14 military killed in a war zone. 14 military killed in a war zone and 720 killed in the city of Chicago. There's something bad wrong. That, that's 2016. 2017, it was 628 killed in Chicago, 17 in Afghanistan. Uh, 2018, uh, over 500 so far this year. I couldn't get an up to, at least I couldn't find an up-to-date uh, statistic on the number of military killed in Afghanistan this year. But I guarantee you it's not 500. Three years, 1,848 people were murdered in the city of Chicago in three years. Something is wrong. And I started asking myself, what is the solution? The solution is the gospel. Amen. It's the gospel that changes hearts. It is the gospel that changes lives. I came to the conclusion that in the solution to the problem, there is only two options. Either I, we are part of the problem or 
we're part of the solution. See, the reality is this. If we do not share the gospel, then are we part of the problem or part of the solution? We're part of the problem. The problem with America today has got nothing to do with our politicians, but it's got everything to do about America's churches. Because we've stopped going to the mountain and declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. Church has become a country club instead of a place where the name of Christ is declared. I came across an interesting story. The Duke of Gloucester, I, I'm assuming, yeah, it's in, it's in London, <clears throat> commented at a luncheon, a home accident survey showed that 90% of accidents on stairways involved either the top or the bottom stair. <laughs> okay? Well, you know, I mean, think about it. Okay? So <clears throat> the, the government officials got together and they thought, well, what are we going to do? We, we have a problem. We have, you know, people are getting hurt on stairways. And 90% of the injuries are at the, at the very first step at the top or the very first step at the bottom. Well, they both can't be first steps, can they? For last step and the first step, okay. <clears throat> so anyway, yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, they 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 took all this information, all this data, and all this stuff, and they plugged it into a computer, and the computer spit out a solution. Huh? Yes, remove the first and last step, <laughs> and it. <laughs> See, <laughs> you know that, that you know, we we by nature want to solve problems, do we not? Uh, I I think that God put within us the, a, a desire to to want to solve problems, and and here this it's a ridiculous uh, example, but the the, the truth is <clears throat> that's what people want to do. They want to they don't want to redesign the steps or figure a way to prevent they just want to take out the first and the last step and that'll solve all the problems well that is not that is not being part of the solution that's being part of the problem <clears throat> the title of my message is uh, be part of the solution be part of the solution and i i tried i'm going to try really hard to preach a short message tonight because we have the the business meeting later so i'm going to try and kind of go through this quickly but the problem with being part of the solution is that it, it requires involvement on our part. See, the problem with America is not our politicians, like I said earlier, has nothing to do with gun control or how many guns are in. The, the problem is the hearts of men. And if we are going to make a difference, not only in our community, but in our country, it's going to take us getting involved. 
and becoming part of the solution. The part that the solution is very simple. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the, the being part of the solution then requires us then to become involved in the lives of people. Malcolm Forbes wrote this. It's so much easier to suggest solutions when you don't know too much about the problem. And that sounds like a politician, does it not? (laughs) Politicians, have hey, they've got all the answers. They just don't know what the questions are. And when, when that is the mentality of the people, then they're part of the problem, not the solution. The section that we're about to read is three verses long. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42, 43, and 44. Now, I am here to tell you, I have read this passage of Scripture multiple times. I'm just saying, I've read it multiple times throughout my, my years of being saved, and I never, ever remember reading these three verses. So, so really, it was like, you know how sometimes you just read a portion of Scripture, it's like it's all brand new? It was like, wow, this is like really cool. I never saw this before. <clears throat> Verse 42. And it came, uh, excuse me, and there came a man from uh, Baalashalisha <clears throat> and brought the men of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, and uh, full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servant said, now, let's stop right here, verse, uh, verse 43. Who is, who is his servant? Anybody? Gehazi. Ge- yeah, it's Gehazi. Okay, so the, he's talking about Gehazi. And his servant, uh, Gehazi, said, what should I set before this uh, hundred men? And uh, he said again, Give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat and shall leave thereof. Uh, and uh, verse 44, So he uh, set it before them, and they did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your love. We ask that you would uh, take this very short passage of Scripture, but Lord, use it greatly in our lives and help us to understand that we need to be part of the solution. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My first first point this morning is uh, making himself available. Or this evening, not this morning, this evening. Uh, making himself available. Verse 42, we see this guy. We don't know his name. We're going to call him the un, the unnamed man because that's what he is. He's unnamed. But he makes himself available. He didn't have much to, to, to offer, but he offered what he had. This man wanted to be part of the solution. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, it says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, uh, the abundance of their joy 
and their deep poverty abounded unto riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we should, or that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave them gave themselves, their own selves, to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Here we see a New Testament equivalent of this unnamed man here in, <clears throat> excuse me, Second Kings chapter five. We see this guy, <clears throat> or, or chapter four, excuse me. We see this guy. He doesn't have a lot. He but he brings what he has. And the, 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 the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians is talking about the churches in Macedonia who, if you understand what was going on in Macedonia at the time, Christians were under incredible persecution. And, and it says that they, <clears throat> well, let, let's go back and, and read it. Uh, how that in great trials of affliction, uh, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto us uh, uh, the the riches of their liberality. Well, in other words, what was happening was these people were under incredible persecution, and they were. <clears throat> is he all right? Okay. Uh, and and not only were they under persecution, but because they were under persecution, they had nothing to give. But they gave, and God blessed them for it. Here we have this guy. One of the one of the well, no, I don't I don't want to go there. Um, there was a famine in the land. Food was scarce, and he knew that the that the the young preachers uh, preacher boys at this at this college needed to eat, and so this man took what he had and brought it to them. Now there's a key word here that I want you to get a hold of because it really goes to the heart of this un, unnamed man. And that is the word first fruits. Look at uh, verse 42. And it came, uh, and there came a man of uh, Bala, uh, Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. Can anybody tell me what the first fruits are. Okay, it's the first part of the harvest. Okay, it's the best. That's that's where we need to get to. It is the best of the best. And it, it literally means, I looked it up, and it literally means the first portion of the dough from which the sacred loaf was to be prepared. Hence, the term was used for a person who was consecrated to God. So let me ask you a question. If this man gave the first fruits or the, 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 the first available loaves of bread that he had, how much faith did that take? Okay? Okay, well, well let, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question. And, and this is... And and this is again. This has got really nothing to do with money. It's got more about more to do with faith. How easy is it to write a tithe check 
before you've paid your bills, then write the tithe check after you've paid your bills. Before is a lot harder. It takes more faith to give of the first fruits. And that's what, this is the, the principle that he's talking about here. See, this man did not just bring food. He brought his best, not knowing whether he was going to be able to support his family for the rest of however long. An incredible, an incredible exhibition of faith. But we see it also in the passage in, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, <clears throat> one of my favorite passages of Scripture. He, it says in Paul's writing here, he says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What, what, is, what is going on here? This, this is an, an incredible exercise of faith. It is the first fruits of Achaia. Achaia is a city. What are they addicted to? They're addicted to the ministry of the saints. That ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus, Fortunus, and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. And what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying this. When we take our talents and abilities and we offer to God them as our first fruits, God can take those things and multiply them. Not only... <clears throat> well, let me, let me read a story here and then I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, in his book, uh, His Last Words, Harry uh, Durbinville tells of the visit, tells of a visit uh, Charles Spurgeon once made to the city of Bristol, England. He was to preach in the largest three, the, the three largest Baptist churches in the city, and he hoped to collect 300 pounds, which he needed immediately for his orphanage. <clears throat> he got the money retired uh, to bed on the last night of his visit. Spurgeon heard a voice which, he, uh, <clears throat> which to him was the voice of the Lord saying, give those 300 pounds to George Mueller. George Mueller, by the way, owned a, uh, didn't own, but he ran an orphanage in the city of Bristol. <clears throat> Again, the words came, or, or, or he, he, but no, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Spurgeon replied, "But Lord, I need that for my children in, in in London." Again came the words, "Give the 300 pounds to George Mueller," and it was only when he said, "Yes, Lord, I will," that sleep came to him. The following morning, he made his way to Mueller's orphanage and found him on his knees with the open Bible, praying. The famous preacher placed his hand on, on, on George Mueller's shoulder and said, George, God has told me to give you these 300 pounds. Oh, Mueller said, dear, dear Spurgeon, I have been asking God for that very sum. And the two prayerful men rejoiced together. Spurgeon returned to London and on his desk he found a letter waiting for him. 
he opened it and found it contained 300 guineas. Well, we don't, we have a hard time with that. Anyway, <clears throat> George, uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon cried out and said, Lord, <clears throat> uh, the Lord has returned my 300 pounds with 300 shillings interest. And, and we don't understand the money. I've, I've never been able to figure out shillings, pounds, and all that stuff. But anyway, the point is this. He got back more than he, than he gave because he was obedient. And he gave the first fruits. He gave the very thing that was the most precious to him. And way too often, it is that very thing that we hold back on. It is, it is those things that we hold back on. And <clears throat> uh, Elijah... Uh, Elisha, Elisha was uh, was burdened because he had these these young men in this in this Bible college that he had to feed, but he had no means and 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 you know Elisha did not <clears throat> send out a mass email saying pray for food. What did he do? He dropped to his knees and he and he petitioned an Almighty God, and this unnamed man shows up with this this bread and and this corn. And but it, the problem was it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And we see Gehazi here say say oh, what should I set this before a hundred men? What, you want me to take this little bit of, of food and put it before a hundred men and say okay this is all you got? This is this is Gehazi's attitude. So point number two we see showing his true colors in verse forty three. We see Gehazi <clears throat> showing his true colors. And, and really, in, in essence, Gehazi has three major spiritual problems that we need to focus on tonight. The first one is that he had little or no faith. He had little or no faith because <clears throat> the doubt in his voice, the sarcastic way in which he presented it all. It also reminds me of a story that the disciples of Jesus Christ responded the exact same way. In John chapter 6, verses 3 to 9, and Jesus went up into the mount and there sat with his disciples in the Passover, a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw the great company come unto him, and he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? <clears throat> and this he said to prove him or to 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 test Philip, and and he uh, knew uh, for for he himself knew uh, what he would do. Philip uh, answered him, two hundred penny loaf of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one uh, of them may uh, take a, a little." One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith, "There is a lad here." Uh, which hath five uh, barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are these among so many? See, the thing that we, that we, each and every one of us struggles with is doubt. And we can, we can say, well, if I had been there, I, believed, I wouldn't have thought that you're, 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 you're blowing smoke. Okay? Uh, y- yes, you would. Every one of us would have responded that way. And, and the, the, the reality is this, every one of us deals with doubt. And, and Gehazi here was a quote-unquote man of God or the servant of the man of God. 
and he is demonstrating incredible lack of faith. The, the Philip the, and the other disciples just demonstrated an incredible lack of faith. They couldn't understand how Jesus was going to feed all these people. The second spiritual problem that, that uh, 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 Gehazi had, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on it uh, uh, because of time's sake, but in 2 Kings 5, Elisha heals a guy named Naaman, and we're going to be talking about that in the next few weeks. Maybe, maybe even next week, I'm not sure. <clears throat> and, and Naaman wants to compensate Elisha for, for healing him, and, 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 and Elisha refuses compensation. Well, to make a long story short, Gehazi waits until Naaman leaves, and then he chases him down and says, oh, by the way, uh, Elisha changed his mind. Uh, we would like some bucks. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And and uh, and he goes to he goes to Naaman in in Second Kings five twenty and to twenty two. We're not going to read it, but but uh, basically he lies because he, he he's money hungry. And then the third spiritual problem that uh, uh, Gehazi has is that there is absolutely no evidence of compassion in this man's life. There's a lot of sarcasm in his life. But there's there's little or no compassion. I want to tell you something. And this is my observation. People that are part of the problem are part of the problem because the only person they think about is themselves. Someone who's part of the solution is someone generally who thinks about others. One of the mysteries of Elisha, at least in my my understanding, is why in the world did he keep Gehazi as his servant? He had to have known, he had to have known that this man was not a spiritual man. He had to know that that he was a liar and and in a sense a thief. See, selfishness clings to the things of this world. And if we are going to be part of the solution, the things of this world cannot be part of our lives. The unnamed man was part of the solution. Gehazi is part of the problem. And then in verse 44, and really all three of the, the verses, we see point number three, the exhaustible supply. The, un, the, the inexhaustible, excuse me, the inexhaustible supply. I love the but gods in Scripture. Gehazi looks at this man and, and, and Elisha and says, what, am I supposed to feed a hundred men with this, with this food? There's no way. It can't be done. But we serve a God of the impossible. We look at our situations in life and we think, there is no way God can get me out of this mess. But He does. Time after time after time. No matter how deep we dig the hole, God is always faithful to help us get out of the hole. The inexhaustible supply. There's an important concept here, and I, and, and I hope you get a hold of it, because really this is the whole crux of the whole the, the, the message. 
the blessings that were received required sacrifice. Think about this for a second. What happens? This man gets together the very best that he could that he could bring, and he brings it. I don't. We don't know if he, if he knew it wasn't going to be enough. We have no idea what he know what he knew ahead of time. We don't know. But all we know is that he brought his best to God, and he offered it to God. And because of that. God then was able to not only multiply it, but have leftovers as well. And the blessing of what took place was only because of the initial sacrifice. You know, we talk about this inexhaustible supply that God gives each and every one of us. But that supply requires sacrifice. It requires us doing our part. It requires us being part of the solution, not part of the problem. <clears throat> the young lad that we read about in John chapter 6 gave his lunch, sacrifice. Can you imagine? Think about this. Can you imagine a six-year-old boy with his lunch and these thousands of people and this big old mean disciple comes up and says, give me your lunch, son. <laughs> what do you think most six-year-olds are going to do? They're going to tuck and run. Well, at least I would have. I mean, honestly. But, but think about it. Can you imagine going to a six-year-old boy as an adult, trying to convince him to give up his lunch so that Jesus could feed 5,000 men, or, or well, probably close to 10,000, 15,000 people with, a, with, you know, son, we need your lunch because Jesus is going to work a miracle and he's going to feed all these people with your lunch. And you're, and you're going to have some left over to take home. Really? But see what happened. The boy probably said, okay. And he sacrificed. See, unfortunately, what we want to do is we want to hold on to stuff. We don't want to sacrifice. But we want the, uh, the, the inexhaustible blessings of God in our lives, but we're not willing to sacrifice in order for us to get them. We read these stories of, like I read earlier, of Spurgeon uh, giving the, 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 the 300 pounds to uh, George Mueller. And we think, wow, that is so cool. I wish God would do that for me. Well, give the 300 pounds. Be willing to sacrifice. The problem is most of us don't want to sacrifice. Luke chapter 6. Verse 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with the measure, with, for with the same measure uh, that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. <clears throat> I'm not talking about money tonight. 
The, 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 the money's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about tonight. I hope you get that. But it has everything to do with your heart. Amen. The problem is, we live in a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. But what have we done to get that word out? What have we done? Not much. John chapter 6, verses 10 to 13, and Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down. And the number, the number about 5,000. So we know there are 5,000 men. More than likely, there were at least 5,000 women and children. So there's anywhere between, I've heard estimates, estimations up to 25,000 people there. But the reality is, it would have been the same miracle if it had been 50 people. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he gave thanks, he distributed to the, to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise, the, uh, of the fishes, uh, as much as they, uh, as they would, when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, and that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets of fragments of the, low, of the five uh, barley loaves, which remain over and above unto them that had eaten. God did a great miracle. There's no question that God did a great miracle here in, in John chapter 6. Fed thousands of people with with these few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And, but is, there any, is it any less of a miracle that he did in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44? It's the, no, it's the exact same thing. Is it, let me ask you a question. Is it any less of a miracle of the abundance of the love of God in your life, of the miracles that he does in your life? That you, that, and we talked about it earlier. The fact that we take these things for granted. It's no less a miracle. But the requirement is, it takes sacrifice on our part. You want God to bless your life? Sacrifice your life. Give your life. You give, He will bless abundantly. That's how it works. That's the requirement. And in our story here in 2 Kings chapter 4, it took a man giving of the first fruits. In John chapter 6, it took a young boy being willing to give up his lunch to experience the blessings of God. Now, what it's going to take in your life for you to see those kind of blessings, I don't know. I have no idea what it is. But God wants you to give. Let's kind of sum this up very quickly. God knows your needs before you know your needs. Amen. And he met the needs of the, of the men here in 2 Kings chapter 4. He supplies those needs with unexhaustible resources. And, and on top of that, it usually comes from a source that you would have never expected it to come from. But it all starts 
with being willing to give. Being part of the solution, not part of the problem. Let's pray.